Welcome, everybody, to episode 24 of the Tucson Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan DeJoe, and as always, the Tucson Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Danny Plattner and Altitude Home Loans. Danny Plattner is a senior vice president at Altitude Home Loans and a good friend of the program, helps us out in many ways. So if you're looking for any mortgage or refinance needs, please take a look at Danny Plattner. You can find him at dannyplattner.com, and his number is 520-241-1428, and Altitude Home Loans is an equal housing lender. All right, we're excited to talk some Arizona-centric hockey today, and who better to go to than the host of the Daily Locked On Coyotes podcast, Robin Leano and Carl Pavlock, also contributors to Five for Howling, join me today. Thank you very much, both of you, for coming on. Yeah, we're glad to be on. Yeah, glad to be here. So I, there's plenty going on in the hockey world, but and we'll get to it, and we'll talk some coyotes and some roadrunners, amongst many other things. But the first thing I wanted to ask you two was just how you got involved in some of the mediums that you're in now and how your love of hockey translated into what you're doing now contributing to fiveforhowling.com which is the SB Nation blog for the Coyotes and hosting the Locked On Coyotes podcast which you can find on Spotify you can find on Apple Podcasts and really everywhere you can find this podcast as well yeah well I, I guess for me you know I just grew up watching uh, watching hockey born and raised in California um, I started really off as a casual fan but when I went to the University of Arizona um, you know, a lot of people kind of an excellent me, choice. Absolutely. I tell people told me to get it to find a niche just, you know, for a sport uh, to, you know, to cover. And I'm like, you know what? I really like hockey. So I'm going to do that. I started covering the U of A team. And eventually I got asked, hey, do you want to cover the Roadrunners as well? And I started doing that. Um, transferred over to Five for Howling. And I instantly become every single time more and more love for that. Um, Eventually, I got reached out to to cover to to host the podcast, the Locked On Coyotes podcast, and he was like, "Hey, it's a daily podcast. This is what we do." And you know, every and, and now I it consider it a blessing to do it every freaking day. It is amazing. And hey, what about you, Carl? Uh, I have kind of an opposite story. Um, I never really was into hockey growing up. I didn't like too many sports uh, in general, but I started following it. You know. In college, I was watching a lot of Kevin Smith movies. Uh, he references hockey quite a bit. Uh, and then 2011, I had just graduated. Uh, I had two degrees. I was working in a car wash. Um, and I was like, you know, I really want to start writing. Uh, and at the time, I was thinking about writing about comedy. But I was like, you know, I- I'm getting into hockey. I can write about that. There is definitely an area to write about hockey uh, because Five for Howling had been going for a couple years, but they were always looking for people to bring in. This was long before most people were making money off of blogs, so no barriers to entry, and I was able to just kind of come in and and do it. Uh, And then uh, 11 years happened, and I've kept doing it. (laughs) Breakfast come and go, but Hartford, the whale, they put a beating like this on someone maybe once, twice in a lifetime. Was, yeah. was that from Mallrats? Was that what hooked you with Jason uh, Lee's playing again HL ninety four? I mean, there there was definitely that. Uh, there's that great scene in Chasing Amy where uh, Ben Affleck and and Joe and oh, I forget the actress's name. Joey uh, Lauren Adams. 
yes, uh, where they're having the fight and it's just perfectly cut over like a hockey fight. That was really good. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, Zach and Mary make a porno. There was quite a bit of hockey in that. Uh, all really good things in Kevin Smith movies. It, it just kind of leads you to hockey. None, none of the high school kids are going to know what we're talking about. So kids, you know, uh, reference your local library for some of those topics. But so let me let me pivot a little bit to the both of you. What's it like putting on the Locked On Coyotes podcast every day or nearly every day? Yeah, I, I, I consider it a blessing. You know, it's tiring covering, you know, a team that's rebuilding uh, and doing a daily show on it, you know, doing three to five days a week of Coyotes content day in and day out. But you know, it makes me appreciate the sport a lot more, makes me appreciate covering it a lot more. And uh, I think it's really cool the fact that, you know, we've got a chance to, you know, reach out to a different to an audience in a more unique way. You know, we started coming out with more unique content. We started doing, hey, you know what? There is obviously there's the Coyotes, but we want to take a look at the at community. You know, we want to be able to grow the community of hockey. So we reached out, we reached out to local people who are, you know, focused on doing that and i've i've considered a blessing to do that ever since including our president jeremy bow and i remember you had i think it was Lindsay fry was on Uh, yeah Um, i had Lindsay fry right yep friend friend of the show Lindsay fry been on twice (laughs) carl do you want to expand on that a little bit uh yeah it's really cool uh i had been writing for a long time and i thought that writing was going to be my primary relationship to hockey um but getting a chance to to do a daily show it definitely causes you to think about things differently because you're always having to generate content um and there's been quite a few times where i have said something on the on the podcast i'm like you know i should i should write an article about that i should go more in depth so it's it's a great place to get ideas uh and and people seem to like it Uh, i never thought we would get a hundred subscribers on youtube which is just a a monument we passed recently like i never thought i'd have a youtube channel much less people would subscribe to it and you had will scouch on uh not too long ago who uh, you know he's a draft guru and a guy that i found a couple years ago in in trying to stay up on draft prospects i really liked his analysis and talked about getting guests like him and others in the hockey world to come on from time to time oh yeah, yeah. scout sorry robin you want to go um, yeah, I was going to say, um, just, you know, getting, you know, guests like Will Scouch and, um, other, um, prospect analysts, other just experts in the field, it kind of opens up different perspectives. And that's the most important part about, you know, hosting a podcast, because if you host a daily show and you're hearing, you know, mine and Carl's voice every single day, it's eventually going to get stale. So then we're just like, okay, we need to find these new, vo- newer voices. And, um, luckily, you know, we have a really good community out there of, of, uh, of hockey experts who are willing to come in at any time. Um, Will Scouch was one of them. You know, we had uh, Tony Ferrari as another as another guy. And it's the, the community out there and these kind of guests are absolutely amazing. And um, I couldn't thank them enough for, for giving us our, their perspective. And the hockey world's great like that. I've had Dan Rosen on the show a couple of times. He's another proud wildcat, bear down. But he had emailed me for a story he did years ago for SI. Uh, it came out on SI for Austin Matthews' first homecoming about hockey in Arizona. And I, when I started this, I sent him an email, you know, shot in the dark. Hey, any interest in coming on? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And it was in a heartbeat. And he's now been on uh, a couple of times. So that's, that's definitely a positive of the hockey world is you reach out to these people and they seem to say, yeah, well, come on. 
no problem. Yeah, it's definitely a thing where, especially the prospect guys, uh, they are so busy, but they are always willing to like step up and do things. And you really like can appreciate that perspective more when you're actually talking to them. Like I read a lot of draft profiles. Uh, I, I follow the people on Twitter, but actually having a conversation with them, being able to like ask a question and then like not have to plan everything out, just being in the moment. It's really fun. Like they really love hockey in a way that, you know, I I don't think a lot of people do because they are going to, you know, watch kids play in the middle of nowhere. They are sacrificing a lot. They're spending so much time reviewing game footage. Uh, It is astonishing and it is great to kind of tap that resource. And speaking of draft, I mean, we'll we'll segue right now into the Coyotes draft this year. And I, the biggest question I have is the Connor Geeky deal. There's a lot of draft capital that went into that. And I know you both covered it, but just talk a little bit about what you thought of the Coyotes draft in general and specifically if you're the GM, do you make that move? Do you did you feel enough about Connor Geeky or in talking to people in the organization and getting a feeling for it? Do you have the sense that they definitely had this guy higher than he was and they spent all that draft capital to go get him? Yeah, that's you know, that was an interesting pick and I think oh, I think overall the Coyotes did a pretty pretty good do- uh, job on their draft. They did what they needed to do. Um, the Connor Geeky one was a little bit of a shocker to me because, you know, I've mentioned multiple times on on the Lockdown podcast that I don't think the Coyotes are going to package their draft picks unless, you know, a potential top 10 falls into, you know, the 17 to 20 territory. And all of a sudden they pick, you know, the pick, pick a guy in Connor Geeky up at 11. Um, there were a lot of question marks about that. And I'm still kind of questioning going that far up. Um, but you know, I also trust the scouts. I also look at, you know, like, okay, these guys probably know a lot more than more than we do. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it, give it a little bit of time. You know, he's geeky signed his entry level contract. So, you know, a few years from now, like I'm hope I am hoping that I'm wrong and that they did it a little too early. Yeah, it's definitely, it was an, it was an interesting draft because a lot of it, I did think the Coyotes were were maybe reaching for players. You really got the idea that Bill Armstrong saw, like went in there with a plan, and he's he knew what type of players he wanted. Uh, I am a little concerned that it potentially, you know, was tunnel visioned. But I, you know, like Robin said, you gotta trust the scouts. They're the ones who are actually watching these kids play. They're the ones who are having the conversations. Uh, I was not. We we didn't even really think about who the Coyotes would get in the middle of the first round because, uh, you know, I, I think I was a little bit more open to the Coyotes trading uh, the picks than Robin was, but I didn't think they would be going to there specifically. Um, and if they did, it would be for like a player where, you know, there's no way that I was going to know. It was going to be whoever Bill Armstrong wanted. Um but you you definitely get the mindset of what type of team he wants to build based off of that draft. And that motif is definitely size. The old hockey adage, you can't teach size, but you can draft it and you can pay for it. And the Coyotes certainly did that in the offseason. I mean, you're going to roll out a bottom six of 
six two plus players. I, and I, I think that's what Bill Armstrong wanted to do. That was always something that was important for St. Louis, and they felt like it paid off for them. So talk about some of the offseason moves that you saw from the Coyotes, and they're definitely building that big team. Maverick Lamoureux at the end of the first round is another sense of that, that they definitely wanted to upgrade on size. Yeah, I think a little bit of me is questions the uh, go, going the size route. I think it's it's it works um, in certain situations, and I think under the um, Bill Armstrong and Andre Torrani system, it could very well work. I, but, you know, and the only reason why I'm skeptical is just the way the National Hockey League is going towards. You know, size is kind of a less of important thing, and it's very much of highly skilled. I mean, you look at the guys like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon, like they run the they run the National Hockey League, um, and they're none of them are the biggest biggest kids in the world and they they still they still show and it's you know that that's where we're going towards in in the in the NHL and I want to see a little bit more of that and I think going size is not really the opposite direction it's just a very unique one it is you know important to say though that in addition to all of the size that was drafted they went with Logan Cooley, the the short guy. Um, when Shane Wright like fell into their laps, so clearly it's not all about size. Um, I, I did like the Cooley draft. Uh, I think that the Coyotes, you know, this year are going to be a very big team. But you know, second year of the rebuild, they picked up a lot of more. I'd say kind of like spare parts. But I'm also kind of interested to see like what a year two is going to be like for for Jack McBain or Nate Smith um, or even a player like J.J. Mosier. Like the Coyotes right now have eight defensemen, not counting uh, Connor Timmons. And it seemed like they just kept acquiring defensemen. Uh, this this offseason has left me with plenty of questions about what ne- is going to be happening next. And, and is Soderstrom in one of those eight you mentioned also? Uh, I do not believe so. No. Uh, That's even Nemeth, uh, Brown, Stetcher, Mayo, Mosier, Deneen are the eight that cap friendly lists. Right. So, I mean, definitely, and we'll get to the Roadrunners a little bit later on in the podcast, but yeah, a lot of high-end D prospects that still aren't in that top eight yet, or at the very least, definitely have to go in their spot. And it's not something where it seems like the organization is saying, all right, we're going to, we're going to slot them in until they show that they can't. It's you want a spot, come earn it. Or maybe we're going to go the development route. And these guys are going to play in the NHL this year. And we're going to give you time to develop down in Tucson. So, and again, you know, I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, I once had Lindsay Fry and uh, Alex Kinkoff on in two seasons ago and we talked about the Coyotes stability and goaltending back then. It seems like so long ago when you had back then it was Darcy Kemper, Auntie Ranta and Aiden Hill all in the mix. All three are gone. Darcy Kemper has moved on twice now and has a cup ring. Auntie Ranta got himself pretty close with Carolina. So talk a little bit about the goaltending this year. And I, I mean, from my perspective, I saw bits and pieces from Vimelka, but now you have, Kind of an interesting duo, and I'll save my thoughts on Ivan Prozvitov until after we talk about the guys that are up. So talk about a little bit about the goaltending. And I know there was a piece on Five for Howling that you just put up about 
the goaltending. It is somebody going to step up or, and are we going to get NHL level goaltending in the Arizona roster this year? Yeah, goaltending is an, is a interesting question for the Arizona Coyotes, and you know, uh, Karelvi Malka has definitely impressed in many ways, like you said, and he's had those games in which it was like you know four or five games of uh, you know forty five plus saves, which is absolutely phenomenal, um, but it's not sustainable, and he need he needed he needs a solid NHL veteran to back him up to kind of help him do that. And last this this last season. Scott Wedgwood did well in that position. And when they traded away, it kind of changed the dynamic of the team. But um, I think with the right personnel in, in place, I think Karofi Melka can very well develop to be that next, you know, true number one guy for the for the Arizona Coyotes. But I really think that he's that, you know, he still needs a, you know, veteran fallback to kind of help him out. Yeah, I, I I don't have a lot of faith in in the Coyotes goaltending right now. It definitely is an area where I would like to see them improve uh, in the coming years. Uh, but everything Robin said, I agree with. Uh, it, it's something we talk about a lot. Um, I think that the team is going to make another move to bring in another goaltender. I don't think they're going to move forward with what they have. If they do, uh, that's going to be a rough one to watch. Uh, who's out there that's left or do you think maybe someone's looking to alleviate some cap space and the coyotes can maybe be take another goaltender to help a team do that is there someone out that, there that you think is a target for the coyotes that could help bolster their goaltending i mean the the coyotes have the cap space i i could see them acquiring just like a veteran who is overpaid um i i, I don't know who uh, I, I don't know if they would necessarily be that great, but I mean, let's be real. Wedgwood wasn't necessarily like a standout goaltender before the Coyotes acquired him. Uh, I, I am faithful or hopeful that they will find someone who will just kind of fit well in the system and like has been a backup for 10 years. And Maybe, maybe Auntie Ranta reunion. I mean, this is a guy who might be an odd man out in Carolina with some of the young goaltending they have coming back. I think that would be a long shot. But yeah, I mean, Gillies was signed to a two-way deal. Vimelka is obviously their guy. Is there anyone else, Robin, that you've identified that maybe they can go out and get to be the tandem with Vimelka? I mean, the only uh, goalie that was discussed, and in like it's the and, and the name has since fizzled out in the last few months. Um, and it kind of goes in the idea of taking someone who's severely overpaid, and that's Sergei Bobrovsky from Florida, because he's getting paid like ten million dollars, um, which is an outrageous amount. But you know, for someone like the Coyotes who can definitely afford it, they could do it. But that again, like I said, that name has since fizzled out, and honestly, past that, there's not really many other names that really come to mind. And he he'd have to wave to come out too. I mean, he likes hot weather. We know that he went from Columbus to Florida, but. Uh, leaving leaving Florida and leaving Miami to come all the way out to Arizona and wave for that. That would take probably more capital than Florida would be willing to give. And the Coyotes would probably not want to have to be on the hook for that salary for that much longer. Although it is yeah. an interesting possibility. It, I mean, he's a big name, so it, it's always going to generate interest, but that's a, that's a not good deal. And I think we all kind of knew it was like a very weird deal for the Florida Panthers to be making. Um, but the Coyotes are the team that you send your weird deal that you made a couple of years ago. 
Agreed. I, I think everyone else in the league knew Bobrovsky's one of the top goalies in the game. As, as soon as he inked that contract, they said, you can have him. Good luck. You know, take, take it and run with it. And uh, now, well, speaking of deals, does Jacob Chikrin start the year on the roster? I think so. Um, I know we are just now today as we record getting a bunch of senators rumors, but we've been getting rumors since very early in last season. Uh, I think that, you know, there's been opportunity for, for moves to happen. They haven't happened. I think Chikrin is with the team to start the season and potentially gets moved at the trade deadline. Yeah, I'm 100% with Carl on that. I, you know, I do see him, despite all the rumors right now, starting the season. But yeah, come trade, it's come trade deadline. I believe he will be on a different team. And I'll say as someone who, I mean, I like the Coyotes. I've been living here 13 years now. I've gone to many Coyote games. I always want them to be good. I always root, them, root for them to be good. I'm an Ohio guy with Buffalo roots. I'm a Buffalo fan and a Blue Jacket fan. And from that perspective, I just look at some of the things, especially Chikrin, from an outside perspective, and it's, all right, you just signed Lawson Krause for five more years. I get that. Why, why are you sending this kid now? I mean, it might be something where, hey, I'm going to list my house for way more than it's worth. If I get an offer for it, great. If not, I'll stay living here. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. Is that what it seemed like to you two? Or do you think that there's legitimate interest in trying to move Chikrin for significant assets to help this team move forward? I think that the, the important thing to know about the Arizona Coyotes rebuild is the fact that um, barely anybody like like is a hundred percent hundred percent safe from the rebuild? I think the, really the only true name you can consider hundred percent safe is Clayton Keller at this point, based off how he performed last year. Um, and and I think that's the part the important thing thing to know about a rebuild when you have a team going through so many different changes, a team that wants to you know get those assets to grow in the future you'd use what you can and jacob chikrin has you know you know someone like him for example has a lot of um a lot of capital attached to his name and the coyotes know that so i think they're even holding out to figure out it's like okay like we are going to wait until someone gives us some outrageous offer because someone eventually will yeah i i do kind of wonder like looking at the timeline for the coyotes rebuild uh we can talk about defensive prospects and roadrunners later, I, I don't necessarily see someone who is able to step up in, in Chikrin's role in the next couple of years and be as good a player as he is when they need a, a star defenseman. Uh, like we're talking about maybe like two to three years from now, they're going to start getting better. They need someone to anchor that blue line. Chikrin seems like the guy to do that. Uh, I, I, you know, the old adage is if Wayne Gretzky can be traded, anyone can be traded. And that's absolutely true. But it, it does oftentimes feel like the stories about Chikram being traded are from the other side. It is the other team being interested, less Bill Armstrong shopping. Him. I would agree with that. And also, I think even though everybody was different, it was a different owner. It's a different GM. It's different coaches. They had Oliver Ekman Larson. He was a guy who was in trade rumors. He was signed to a big extension. And then within a couple of years, they had to add things to jettison that contract in a way. And so I, I don't know if that plays into some of the mindset too of let's not hold on to him until we make this next extension. And then we're having to 
try and unload for less pieces than we can get now. So I'd like to think that may be some of the conversation that uh, the GM now is having internally or something that has at least crossed his mind as someone who, you know, he was an assistant GM for a long time and now he has his own team to run and Bill Armstrong. There's that. And I think the other important thing is, you know, considering clauses, because I think after, you know, after this year, no trade clause comes into effect. Then you also have, um, you, you also have to consider uh, in general, just in terms of, you know, where their value is now and, you know, what the contract looks like, you know, if you, Jacob Trickman is on a very team friendly deal. So like that can like, you know, it's, easy to move a lot more easier to move that now than you know moving someone who's getting paid much more at a longer term in maybe not performing to their standards so like that's i think why the talks have been increasing also let's be honest uh with ourselves jacob chickren does have a kind of long injury history he he has missed some pretty substantial stretches he got injured twice last season. Um, it could be, you know, the team is thinking that could be a potential long-term concern. And if they know something that anyone else doesn't, they're going to use that knowledge. Uh, or if if they really feel like Chikwin really wants out, they only want to have people who are, you know, 100% invested to get through the rebuild, I could see that being a move. I don't put much stock into people who say that Chikrin absolutely wants out, though. Arizona's still a great place to play, but let's pivot a little bit into one of the most unique things to come up in American team sports in the last 50 years, and that's having to play inside of ASU's newly built hockey facility that holds what is it, 3,000 or 3,200 or 3,500 or maybe up to five, depending on who you ask, something like that. So let me ask you a couple questions here, and I'll kind of ask it as a two-parter. Can you remember anything? I mean, I, you know, I'm 37. I can't remember anything like this. And I talked about this with Dan Rosen about where you had to have a professional sports team go into this kind of arena. So what I'm asking is two-part. First, are you two excited about this a little bit? I know that there's so much doom and gloom around the league and they talk about revenues and things like that. But as a fan, this is unique. I've, I've gone to many games in the arena. Now I get to go watch them at ASU and you have a tight building with a college atmosphere and they got a bunch of giant bodies running around. I'm sure they're trying to make it seem to other teams like, man, we really got to go into the lion's den and we got to deal with all these big guys with the crowds on us. So are you excited and is this something you think you'll look back on kind of fondly, you know, as we hope that they get a new building, they get a new arena, but we'll remember fondly the time we had in Tempe playing in the college barn. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, thing, you know, with, with the the Coyotes being in there. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it because I'm looking for, because, you know, the one thing that, you know, I like to talk about is, you know, loudness and intimacy. I think a lot of people are going to be excited about that, right? That barn is going to be loud. Because obviously, because it's going to be packed, it's going to be, you know, the full up to 5,000 people are going to, you know, it it's going to sell out. There's going to be, and these fans are going to be, you know, the most loyal fans willing to spend the money. And that is going to contribute to it potentially being a very hard place to play. And I think I would love to experience what that's going to look like. Um, 
you know, people will talk, you know, bad about it all the time. And yeah, it, it is a tough situation to be in, right? Because, you know, it is a small, it, it is a smaller venue, less people can watch the games, and you're doing what you can. But at the end of the day, you know, that what the Coyotes are doing, what I think is best for their situation, given the fact that they're moving in with Arizona State, and they are going to be, you know, hopefully building that new arena, you know, just down the street from ASU, at, uh, you know, right where, you know, right in Tempe, which is going to be a lot better. And that's going to kind of build and create their the rest of their future. Robin dropped off for a quick second. Carl, are you still there? Do you want to expand on it? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I will say that we did discover that there were a couple of kind of similar situations. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning playing in a baseball stadium for a couple of years definitely, I think, is weirder in my mind. Uh, just from the outside, everything that happened with the New York Islanders at the Barclays Center just feels insanely surreal. Um, and the ASU situation is different in that there is a time frame that's going to be on there they are saying like hey it's going to be three years maybe four when we build the new arena there's going to be a new arena uh, i think if that changes the coyotes situation is going to change very quickly um but i'm excited about it i think people are going to be excited about it but i also think they would be excited about it just not being in glendale anymore like there's going to be so much you know, relief. I think so many Coyotes fans I talk to have just insanely bad memories of Glendale, whether it was traveling there uh, on the highways or freaking always feeling like the city council didn't want you. Like for the first time in a very long time, the Coyotes are going to be wanted. And I think that's going to contribute to like a really special atmosphere like more so than anything else, like Coyotes fans are able to breathe a sigh of relief that they haven't been able to in a long time. Robin, did we get you back? Yeah, I'm here. All right. Sorry. We, you cut out for a little bit toward the end. So I bumped to Carl. So go ahead, finish your thoughts. Oh, not a problem. I, 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 I pretty much just finished my thoughts saying that, um, yeah, I'm just, you know, ex ex excited for that bit. And I really do think that this will help them, um, for that new arena, right? Because it, 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 the, the, that, that new arena on Priest and Rio Salado is going to be the future. And if you're only just down the street from there, you kind of get the idea of the fact that you're in the East Valley. Um, there's so much, so much interconnection in this, side of the, in, in this side of the valley that, you know, there is going to be a lot more excitement about the team now that they're on this side. And I hope they take this as an opportunity to reinvigorate the youth fan base. I guess I'll tell an anecdote, even though we're down in Tucson, we were gathering up some of our travel teams, the 10U and the 12U, for Dryland. And, you know, we do introductions and things and say, hey, what's your favorite hockey team? Zero kids said the Coyotes. And you even had a couple say Vegas and a couple say Seattle. So I, I hope that they take this opportunity to be on the East Valley to get back connectivity with the hockey base that's in the East Valley and hopefully even the hockey base down here through the Roadrunners and to have exclusivity in that building, but also make sure you're getting your future fans in there too for when you get this big arena open on that side of town. So I I hope they do that. It'll make the building a little more louder, a little more intimate. You're going to have people pressing up against the glass when Zach Cashin is putting fist to faces. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try and use it as a positive. And 
you know, that's the way hockey teams go too, is you hope that the team can do that as well. They can say, Hey, look, everyone's laughing at us, but you look around that building and you look at a bunch of behemoths in the locker room that are plus six feet. And it's, it's like, let's go make them earn two points tonight. And even if they do, they're not going to like how they feel tomorrow morning. And I think that could be something that endears them and refreshes the fan base in the East Valley. So, I mean, having said that, let's move a little bit to kind of what we will see this year in terms of the Coyotes. Who are a couple players you have your eye on that are ready to make the leap? And I say that with the preface that we saw a lot of guys from Tucson go up last year and really contribute well. They might not be top six guys, but they played like solid bottom six guys in Michelli and even Mosier on the back end, uh, Carconi coming up as someone who's, you know, in his mid twenties, who bounced around. I thought they played really well. So talk a, a little bit about a couple of players you have your eye on this season that you think are really going to pop or maybe expand what we think their role is. Carl, you uh, want to we'll, go take you got, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, we just had an episode about Carconi and he is a player who, you know, by the end of the episode, I, ca- I kind of sold myself on him. And I, I do think he is going to to make the leap. Looking at the roster, like the conclusion I came, came to at the end of the episode was like, I, I'd put him over like a couple of other players. So I think he definitely have an expanded role, um, especially since he didn't really seem to, you know, do much more than just be five on five with the with the team last year. I'd like to see him get some power play minutes and that could potentially lead to a, uh, a bump in scoring. You know, the team isn't going to have Phil Kessel anymore. It's not going to have Alex Galchenyuk. There's definitely a role for Kirkcone to be more offensive. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and for me personally, like I, I'm always watching, um, the, uh, the Roadrunners, and I've, I've been covering, I've been covering them for like, you know, six years. So it's hard to give it an exact, you know, any one player who I'm really looking forward to, but I really like JJ Mosier. You know, I think, you know, he, he got called up during a time when the, you know, half of the defense was gone. So you go through that and you, you think about that and think how well he filled the role. Like, okay, like maybe we can see him, you know, you know, eventually slot in as a solid, you know, seventh D man. Um, and maybe even more beyond that. And cause I think he really impressed. J.J. Mosier was the cockiest rookie I have ever seen, and I loved every second of him. Like, I, I never thought I would see a rookie defenseman like go hard to the net like I saw Mosier. It was beautiful to watch. He was a guy I saw in Tucson early on. Now, admit it, I spent a lot of weekends in Phoenix coaching youth hockey, so I didn't get to see a ton of games of the Roadrunners live. But when I watched them live in the early part of the season, there were two guys who jumped out. It was Michelli and it was Mosier. I mean, Michelli was, was involved every single shift. He was out there. He was doing something noticeable in the right way and scoring a lot. But Mosier just on D, you could sense that cockiness because his game was so smooth. He wasn't, all right, what do I do? You know, what am I trying to prove here? What am I trying to show? He's like, hey, I got the game. I'm going to go out and play and I'm going to be just fine. And he was noticeable in that way as someone who never looked rushed, was making good plays, smooth skating, good decisions. And, you know, he went up and played well. And it's always good to see, you know, that's the unique thing about having the AHL team down here in Tucson is now going into year six or seven of the Coyotes, you know, 
depending on how you see the abbreviated years, we've seen a lot of guys come through that are now really good NHL contributors, whether they were on the Roadrunners or not. Guys like Bunting, guys like Garland, guys like Kraus, even, you know, now we're talking about some of the new prospects coming up, but even in some of the visitors too, you had guys like Pavel Francis come in, guys like Rupe Hintz a couple of years ago, Dennis Gurionov a couple of years ago, and even some of the guys that I saw this year, when you go go to the arena, you get to see kind of a little bit of practice time before the kids take the ice. I got to see Dustin Wolf take goaltending drills, and he was the best goalie in the AHL last year, and some of the other guys that have played for these teams over the years. So, And I think the Coyotes, more so than most teams, have reinvested in that the last couple of years of using the AHL to build their rosters. But something that I can say as a Buffalo Sabres fan too, and when you look at the Arizona Coyotes over the last decade, I mean, it seems like the rebuild goes on for a long time, but at the same time, you have to hit on first and second round picks. And that's something that it seems like the Coyotes have turned the tables on in the last couple of years. It seems like they've been getting a lot more out of their draft picks. Is this something you've noticed? Have you taken a look back and say, all right, let me, let me analyze the last five drafts and they definitely look better than the five before it going from, you know, 2011 to 2016. Yeah, it, 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 it definitely, you know, does look a lot better. And I'll even just say these last two, for example, you know, um, everyone talks about how good Logan Cooley is and how like no one can really say a much of a bad thing about this kid. I got a chance to watch, you know, a decent amount through a couple of games of Dylan Gunther. And oh, my God, this kid is also really good. Um, you know, Barrett Hayton was another first round pick. And, you know, I think that they definitely have been hitting better on on those early round picks. I think and again, JJ Moser was a second round pick just last year. And it's it's amazing to see that they're getting better picks. Obviously, it takes a while to see them truly develop until we until they reach their ceiling. But I definitely think that, yeah, they're doing a lot better now than they did, you know, that decade, you know, less than a decade ago. Yeah, there was some extremely dark draft times. Uh, I was looking at the 2012 uh, draft, and you know the Coyotes got um, you know Hendrick Samuelson in the first round, but sure it was the late first round. But the only player I'm really seeing in this that you know makes an NHL impact is Jordan Martinuk, and you know Jordan Martinuk makes an impact, but he is not that type of NHL player. Like there has been just tons of drafts where the coyotes whiffed on it. Uh, and it seemed like it was getting better, but there's still just like, you know, tons of bad ones. It does seem to be vastly improved. Now. I think Dylan Gunther helped a lot of people through last season. Logan Cooley highlights are probably going to do the same for next season. And again, as a Buffalo fan, there's a lot of wasteland drafts for Buffalo too. That's why they've been in the perpetual rebuild. And I mean, looking back too, it was, you call it luck, call it realizing what this person really was as a player. But boy, when you looked at guys like Max Domi and Brendan Perlini and Christian Dvorak, who they traded, even bunting, it was like, all right, like Perlini, when I saw him down here, he, his last game, they sent him down, he scored a hat trick and he never came back. And thought we'd never see him again. And I thought he'd be a 35, 40 goal guy. I thought Domi was going to be, you know, a, a 30, 70 guy, you know, when he reaches his potential and it just, it just didn't get there. So for as much as some of the blame is put on 
things like mismanagement or bad coaching, it's you, you really have to hit these draft picks. I mean, uh, you know, I ask the question sometimes just in passing and I, to me, you know, what's more important to have a GM who knows what they're doing or have a coach that knows what they're doing. I think when you have a team that's young and has to come back like the Coyotes does or the Coyotes do, you definitely need that GM that has a vision and can at least have the time to stick with it and at least make the right picks to start restocking your top six and your top four and your top couple of goalie slots. And I think we have it there. And speaking of the 2012 draft, we had Merrick Langhammer in part of that draft who, you know, what an interesting odyssey he's had where it seemed he was starting here in Tucson. He seemed like he was okay. He was lent back to the Czech Republic. Now he might be bringing his way back here somehow. I think the Coyotes still have his rights, but in talking about goaltending as well, and something I want to hit on is we'll pivot here to the Roadrunner some is Ivan Prozvitov. And I'll throw something out there as someone who saw him. And oddly enough, he played juniors in my hometown in Youngstown, Ohio. So I know his goalie coach, I had his goalie coach back then, was on my podcast once, a guy named Shane Clifford, who worked a lot with Carter Hart and Dustin Wolf and guys from Everett as well. And what I saw last year was how the AHL roster impacted him. Because over the last couple of seasons, you've had so many AHL players that were excelling, but were brought up to the Coyotes. And you had someone in Prosvitov. To me, he looked like he was trying to do too much. He was trying to play defense and goalie at the same time. And I think some of the luster has come off of him as a prospect, but the ingredients are still there. And I think if you find more of an AHL roster that can compete and defend, I think you'll get some of the shine back on him as a prospect this year. But what did you guys see in terms of maybe you saw him at prospect camp or maybe you just hear rumblings about what they think of Prozvitov and whether he's part of the future or not? Yeah, you, you know, I got a chance to see uh, Prosvatov, you know, in his first few games in Tucson. I think it was right before the pandemic. And I was talking with, um, I believe it was, yeah, I was talking with Brett Fair of the Ozone Daily Star. And we were just talking, just about joking about what he would do in the ECHL and doing his cartwheels and everything like that. And he was good then. He was really good because that was a really solid um, Tucson Roadrunners team. They didn't really have to worry about injuries with the Coyotes, so they were very stable. And they were one of the best teams in the American Hockey League. And then these last couple of years, because of all the turnover and all the rebuild and how the roster has changed, yeah, you're right. You know, you know, as as you kind of mentioned, that there was a lot of turnover at the team, not very consistent. You know, you had so many players get called up and get sent down. It just created it. Yeah, it it did create, a, I think, an issue for Ivan in the sense that you know he was trying to reinvent himself and. You know, I, I will still firmly believe that he is, you know, a going to be a future, you know, top goaltender for Arizona. He's going to eventually be either maybe the 1B or the 1A in a few years time. But I think he really needs to kind of, you know, reel himself back in and kind of not and not stretch himself too thin with all the changes going on at this Roadrunners team. I am never really sure what the team thinks of Prosvitov. Um, I, I think they have like respect for the kid because they consistently throw him to the wolves. Uh, over the past two years, he's played the Colorado Avalanche three times, the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights twice, uh, two seasons ago. So when they were good, and the St. Louis Blues, like that is some stiff competition. But they're they're treating him like he is. A, a goaltender prospect for them. They're not rushing him. I think the fact that he made that leap 
to the AHL like so soon in his career. Like he didn't spend a lot of time in the ECHL. He's still a young guy. Like it, it kind of threw people off in thinking that he was going to be ready right away. But I, I think the team still has a, a fine opinion of him. I still am excited for him. I'm just, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I know he's not ready. I just wonder when he is going to be ready. Uh, and just looking at the Coyotes prospects, it doesn't look like they have anyone else. So until they acquire Spencer Knight for Jacob Chikrin, uh, it's probably not going to, he's probably the goaltender of the Coyotes future. Are you good with that one for one? <laughs> uh, no, no, not one for one, but that was probably one of the trades that I saw for Chikrin being proposed. I'm like, huh, Spencer Knight. Uh, yeah, that'd be a good part of a package. And then Florida will have traded away Spencer Knight and Devin Levi. <laughs> to keep, uh, keep Sergei Bobrovsky as he ages poorly and his contract <laughs> ages even more poorly. Yeah, yeah. That that honestly, that feels like a Florida Panthers move. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, give, I give Bill Zito a little credit for, hey, you know, I feel like we had to sign this guy at the time. And look, we're, we we scored, we had 123 points last year, won the President's Trophy. You know, everyone's talking about us now because we got swept by a good Tampa team like we stink. I mean, there should be no embarrassment from getting swept by Tampa. But teams respond very weird to those kind of things. Yeah, and boy, what, what an interesting playoffs last year. Um, and, you know, we've covered it different places, but... Uh, going back to the Roadrunners here, so Steve Potvin gets named head coach. They just had a press conference today that I wanted to try and get out of because I work or see because I work right across the street, but I wasn't able to get out of work in time to go over there to see the press conference. But I will say this in that I think it shows a lot of confidence because this was a guy who was coaching under Jay Verde. Jay Verde, a very good coach. That's one thing I will say about the Roadrunners, despite not having the kind of roster a lot of the AHL teams they played, especially with some of the wagons you had in that division the last couple of years, like Stockton last year and some of the other teams you've seen, they were still very well coached. And, you know, I think Jay Verde is going to be a head coach in the NHL someday. He's now an assistant with the Red Wings. But I think it says something where you had Bill Armstrong comes in and, you know, when you're making your mark, I would say nine times out of 10 or maybe even a higher percentage than that, they're going to bring in somebody they know to run an AHL bench. I think it says a lot about Potvin that he was still saying, all right, everybody seems to like this guy. We seem to like the guys we get from Tucson and what they do. Let's keep it in house and keep Steve Potvin as the coach. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's an important thing to be said about how, you know, the, you know, him staying around as long as he as he has. You know, he's been uh, Steve Potvin has been around since uh, since Mike Van Ryan's year in year two of the Roadrunners. And, you know, I remember, uh, you know, interviewing him a couple of times and, you know, I really liked him as a person. I really liked the way he, um, you know, he, he he speaks and it definitely seems like you know, the players like him. And I think there is a solid reason why he's, again, that solid reason why he stuck around. Um, and I'm excited to see what he can do for the Tucson Roadrunners. I was skeptical at first because of, he was the head coach of the Roadrunners during this COVID year when my, when, when uh, Jay Verde got called up to essentially kind of help lead the, then an extra assistant coach to help lead the taxi squad. Um, and that was not a good year for the, for the Roadrunners. So I was like, is it a coaching problem or was it just that personnel? So um, 
I'm hoping I get proved wrong, but and that he actually continues to do well. I think he will, and I'm I'm pretty confident. It's always nice to see an organization promote from within, uh, just because it shows like they have confidence in you know the people that they have been developing. And you're right, Bill Armstrong is a new guy. He didn't have a lot of loyalty to the people who came before him. But he recognized the situation. He wants to keep some level of consistency for the Roadrunners because they are a, a very important part, piece of the Coyotes. They're the development part. And we have seen it play off you know, extremely well, especially last season. Uh, it is one of those things where you know, now that he is head coach, the buck stops with him. So I'm definitely curious to see what he can do being, you know, being the guy now. I do know he's well liked. Um, just in seeing him at the arena in passing, very nice guy, just like Jay Veriday was. Uh, even Ivan Prozatov, I got to talk with him once. Very nice young man. So I, I wish him all the best, and I hope I hope it can continue. And I really think you're going to see a different Roadrunner team this year, as always, depending on injuries in the big club. So before we close the loop on the Roadrunners, let's have the Victor Soderstrom conversation. I'm I'm just gonna I'm just kind of gonna kind of pull back a little bit. And let you two talk about how do you think Victor Soderstrom's development is going based on what you've seen? Carl, you want to go first? Uh, well, I liked him at the end of last season. Uh, there there have been a, a couple of hiccups in Soderstrom. Like, um, I, I've, and of course, his development has been hampered by a pandemic, which has made things not very easy for him. Uh, I, I am not sure if he is ready for full-time NHL or yet, but he seems like he has gotten himself pretty close, which is really all I could ask for for a player at his age. Yeah, I think a lot of people are getting uh, tend to get very impatient when it comes to uh, development and the fact that Soderstrom hasn't developed at the pace that they everyone else expected. Um, but I think Carl's right. You know, I think it, you know, a lot of that was affected by COVID and I think that kind of does suck for a lot of players out there. And Zodestrom was one of them. Um, I think in the next couple of years, we'll eventually see him come into his own. Um, and yeah, I think I could definitely see him, you know, lead the roadrunners to start things off before event before, uh, you know, falling nicely into, you know, a, um, into let's say maybe like a one of the middle pairing demon and like i said like the coyotes have so many defensemen right now there is really no need to rush him so if you know the team feels that he just needs a couple more you know games in tucson i think they're gonna let him have it i, I do think he is gonna be one of the the first call-ups and if he made the team at a training camp I wouldn't be the most surprised. Um, he seemed, like I said, to, to finish strong, which is really all you could ask for a player. And I will say this. So as the president and member of the Matt Boldy fan club, I, I, I had him ranked third that year for some reason, but he seemed to be, you know, when it comes to 11, I'm like, oh, take Matt Boldy. I want to see Matt Boldy play out here. And the development is different for defensemen. And I will say this. I think just like Prozvitov, the team makeup determines a lot. I thought he was better up and had more impact up than he did 
down in the AHL level just because of what Tucson was seeing every night from some of these teams in the AHL and their conference that were really good. It was, you're trying to do too much. You have a lot of ECHL call-ups. You had a lot of college guys that signed off the street that were playing every night. And so I'm with you in that there needs to be a little more patience. And again, I, I thought he was better in the NHL and maybe he can be the kind of person that shows up and goes into camp, but you're also looking, it's okay. He was a 2019 pick. You got a guy like JJ Moser, who was a 2021 pick who was able to get up, crack, stay, get good minutes. And you hope that he has that kind of game. Cause you see why he was drafted. He's big. He's fast. He has a big shot. Uh, he was running the power play a little bit, but again, their power play units struggled, I think because of, like we said, a little bit of the personnel. So I I'm hoping that, I think either scenario is good, but I think we're finally going to figure out this is probably the year he needs to show. He needs to come into camp and make the team or start to get his feet under him a little more in the AHL game and be a little bit more effective, shift in, shift out in all three zones so that we can say he's on the right track. So if you want to expand on that, go ahead or tell me that I'm off in my assessment. Because again, no, I didn't see, get to watch him a ton, but I did get to see some games. See, the 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 important thing I think that needs to be said, and I think uh, Carl and I have talked about this, I think almost at at least like five times a month on the Lockdown Podcast, is that everybody in the Coyotes organization has something to prove, and they have to and 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 they have to prove it to in order to make a roster. We talked, you know, we talked about that heavily with with certain players who you know failed in the in in making that jump and did not get re-signed uh with Arizona and I think Soderstrom is another is another player that again you know he's he's gonna have that opportunity to really prove himself and I think this year is gonna be a like you know is gonna be a year where whether with Tucson or Arizona he's still gonna have a microscope on him yeah, especially because he is a player that Bill Armstrong didn't draft. And, you know, like we said in the prior topic, when a GM comes in, they don't necessarily have that kind of, you know, desire to keep around the, the people from the last regime. Uh, I, I do think it's important to note that J.J. Mosier was drafted as, a, as an overager. So it was a little bit less surprising to see him make the, the jump right away. But I would like to see, you know, if I'm the, the Coyotes, I would like to see Victor Soderstrom have a consistently good season with the Roadrunners um, because you need to be there and you need to be engaged. It doesn't matter what league you're in. Uh, I think it kind of, you know, it reflects good that he was able to take that next step when he's in the NHL and, and playing, you know, games that are quote unquote real, but the games in Tucson are just as real. And, you know, if I'm the team, I'm like, you should be doing this like down there, man. You should be making it so you are the absolute first call up for us. And we need you to kind of put forth that consistent effort. But, you know, I, I would love to to see him have a great year and just kind of make that transition into full-time NHL player. And again, I think it can't be discounted how good that Pacific Division was last year in the AHL. And boy, there, there weren't a lot of off nights, even from some of the teams that were toward the bottom of the standings. But I mean, when they, you, you could see it when they had to play a couple games against Stockton, were able to hold in. 
I mean, Stockton was as good a team as any last year, even though they didn't bring home the Calder Cup. All right. So we got a couple more minutes left before we hit the hour mark. But let me ask you just a couple more questions. Does Dylan Gunther make the team out of camp this year? It's tough. It's tough to say. I think he's really impressed. I think the only thing that will kind of keep him from not doing that is recovering from his injury that he stained during the um, during the Memorial Cup. I think there's only a little bit to be said about that. I think if anything, you know, he's under, you know, he has his contract. So, and it is slide eligible. So he, you know, the Coyotes can be like, you know what, let's, let's give you a couple games and see, and see what you can do. Um, But, and I, I honestly, I think that is the extent of what we'll see from him in the NHL for at least this season. Cause it goes back to kind of what I said, um, what Carl said is, you know, they don't want to, you know, rush these prospects. You know, if he's doing well right now, it's like, okay, that's awesome. But you know, let's let's wait until maybe he's even better even more awesome and come next year when there when, when i think he will slot in perfectly yeah i think it's also important to note that the coyotes are going to be not good next year so why waste a year on you know of dylan gunther playing for a bad team um i i think it makes most sense for you know maybe have him start a couple of games but sending him back to juniors and uh, Gunther was a guy I had very high on the list as a Sabre fan. We had number one with power. And I think he went there, even though I had a little bit of reservations, probably more than most, but I had Gunther very high too. I think I had him two or three kind of going into the draft and even someone I thought maybe Buffalo gives a look to at number one. So I'm very high on the skill of Dylan Gunther. And then I'll ask one more question. So you have Logan Cooley and then you have Josh Doan what are the chances that they sign after their NCAA season and they get some AHL time at the end of the year? I think it's very, it is uh, very high that Logan Cooley will. I think, as I've mentioned before, like he, the, the amount of talk around him is absolutely immense. There was actually some talk on some draft boards of him going, like, you know, some of them, some people had him going number one in this last draft. And, and I said that so many people ha- were just like nitpicking on, you know, stuff that he needs to work on. And it's nitpicking because like it's just like, that's just really maybe finding this fine details because he's already really, really good. So Logan Cooley, I have no, no, like I, I have like no question about it. He will, he will be signing, you know, once he's done with the NCAA. Josh Stone, I think he will. I don't know. And I, I think, don't know how soon he will make the jump to Arizona. I do see him probably maybe spending a year or two um, with the uh, Tucson Roadrunners to kind of get in a little bit of extra development under his feet. Yeah, I think uh, I think Josh Jones is probably going to end up getting his degree um, before he gets some professional ice hockey time. Uh, I I do wonder about Cooley. Um, I think the year or the plan right now is for him to just do one year. But that may change. He may want to do a second just to make sure that he is properly developed. Uh, it would be great to see him with the Roadrunners. Um, I would I would love to see that. Uh, I'm not sure if it is going to happen, though. Well, just as a fan down here, I'd like to see them. But no, I can understand both ways. And again, as a Buffalo fan, you saw guys like Owen Power go back. You saw Matthew Beneers go back. You saw Kent Johnson go back. So 
it's it's a little more of a trend now. You have these top picks who are committed to NCAA teams and are going there for multiple years. So as we wrap up here, I still had the WJC on my list. So you had, I would say, a surprising, not shocking. I think Czechia was still a really good team that was coming off a bad loss, which always makes them dangerous. But I will say, watching Team USA play Team Sweden, I had never seen Team USA kind of outskate a big five team in any tournament like they did when they played against Sweden. Now they ran out of gas a little bit or really just kind of faltered toward the end of the third period in that game. And then they weren't able to get their legs going against Czechia, but talk a little bit about, and we'll finish on it, what you saw from Logan Cooley in the WJC. I, to me, he looked a little more physically mature than I thought he was. I thought he was more of like a, this is a young kid. He's 18. He's kind of scrawny, but no, he had the look and the stride of someone who's pretty, pretty physically mature for his age. Yeah, I think Carl can speak to us a lot more than uh, more than I can. But Cooley has just been fantastic. And again, like I said, like there is nothing I can say that you know that I I, I can say. You know what? This is a hundred percent. He he's thinking he needs to work on. Just like, dude, this kid just got it. Like I just cannot wait to see more of this kid. Yeah, one of the the things I noticed. Um, I'm trying to pull up the tweet, but I'm not seeing it is someone remarked on the fact that he won all of his face-offs, um, which is something that I noticed when I saw him at the, the prospect development scrimmage. He is phenomenal in the face-off circle. Um, and it was funny because someone actually like made fun of me on Twitter for saying that. They're like, why would you focus on that? And it's like, because it's a underrated... For a good reason. It's important. Yeah, it's an important thing. It's also not necessarily something that gets reported on a, a lot, especially for like a player who's just offensively dynamic. Uh, he plays a, a surprisingly complete game. And getting the chance to watch, you're like, wow, he is not a one-note player. And it's not that much of a coincidence that if you look at the face-off percentage leaders each year, those are usually pretty good teams. Yeah. Now, again, it's you know, the chicken and the egg conundrum of, well, of course they're a good team. They got this guy and he wins faceoffs and that's something he does, but still it's important. All right. So (laughs) that's now that the dogs are barking here, that might be a good enough time to cut off the podcast here. But Hey, if you two are willing to come back, I would definitely love to have both of you back again at some point during the season to talk roadrunners. But again, I really appreciate your time today. And if you're coming down, for the game here on the 25th, you let me know because there's at least a beverage, if not dinner, on me for coming on the podcast today. Absolutely. We were glad to be on. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping to make it down because, um, you know, I, I mean, I just moved back, I just moved to the valley. But like I'm, I will make any excuse to go back down to Tucson. Yeah, Roadrunners games are fun. Uh, it, it, I don't know how many people in the valley know this, but it is a definite, like unique hockey atmosphere that I really enjoy going to. Sounds great. And again, my guests today were Robin Leano and Carl Pavlock from the Locked On Coyotes podcast. You can find it the same places you find this one, as well as YouTube. And they're both contributors for Five for Howling. Thank you again. I cannot thank you enough. I know it's been a lot going on in the Arizona hockey world, but just extremely appreciative of the time. And hopefully we'll get to do this again in the future. And we'll end episode 24 of the Tucson podcast there. As always, it's been brought to you by Danny Plattner and Altitude Home Loans, and they are an equal housing lender. We'll see you next time.